All right, Painter, I haven't done this in a while, so we're going to go back to it. You ready? Let's see if this works. It's been a long day recording this on Saturday night, so we can get it up to you folks on Sunday morning. Uh, I got up early and drove to Atlanta today uh, for the Auburn basketball game, which we will talk about for the bulk of this podcast, along with other Auburn basketball news. But um, I was in the same building today as Kevin Durant. That was pretty cool. It was weird because it was like um, uh, our, our friend, our friend Lonnie, uh, loyal member of the inner circle. By the way, met in person several uh, friends of the program uh, that are uh, Pablo. I've met Lonnie before, some uh, some other ones. Uh, there was a guy, I, I don't know who you are in particular, um, but there was a guy who walked behind the media section at one point and yelled my name and I turned and he like just pointed at me, and gave me a thumbs up, and he was showing that he had the Observer podcast like pulled up on his phone. Um, so that's someone who's following instructions. So if that was you, thank you again. That was really really cool. So it was a lot of fun. That that uh, I, I'll tell you, I don't know how it came across on television, Painter. That was loud. That was like an Auburn home game um, environment. You know, they had the first floor, kind of the bowl area. Uh, they had the, the nobody was sitting in the upper deck, and it wasn't completely full down down below. But right before the game, I did a little quick lap around the concourse, and it was like everywhere you looked was Auburn fans. It was like ninety percent Auburn fans, I would say estimated. And I mean, everything that happened in the game, it sounded like they were back in Auburn Arena, like that Auburn's crowd. We knew that this was going to happen, but like Auburn's crowd really delivered. Uh, and I just I don't know how how did that come through on TV. I saw at least a few comments from, or at least I know I saw one from Wendell online. And that was the thing, you know, I know that they said that on the broadcast, but the thing that stuck out was that some of the players, I think, made a comment about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wendell, Wendell's the only player we talked to after the game, but yeah, he, he was saying like, <laughs> he, he said it, he said he was like, it hit me during the game. It was like, um, it was like, oh, wow, this, this crowd travels because they did the same thing in Tampa. They went to Tampa at USF. Uh, when they were playing at Amali, um, and it was, they said probably about 50 50, maybe even a little bit leaning towards Auburn in that game. Um, and then of course, as the Atlanta Auburn club, uh, pointed out on Twitter, um, the biggest concentration of Auburn alums in the country outside of Lee County, Alabama is the Atlanta metro area. Uh, and, uh, and there was a lot. There, there were a lot of y'all out there, and I know some of y'all who are listening to us were to this were a part of it. Um, made for a pretty fun game because I think some of those neutral site games can feel like you're kind of watching basketball in a in, in a library almost, and it's kind of spotted and, and moved around. I mean, Auburn fans I thought it looked like Auburn fans travel well to the Bahamas. They've done it in Tampa. I'll be interested next Saturday. They play. Uh, play in St. Louis next Saturday. I'm just I'm just curious to see what just if you know, any kind of turnout would look like for that game. Um, but, uh, I mean, it, it felt like a, it felt like an Auburn home game, especially when, uh, especially on the alley-oops and especially when Leor Berman was letting it fly. Cause I don't know if there's a more beloved player on this team, by this fan base than Leor is as, as talented as all the other guys are on the team, man, this dude, every, like he touches the ball. Everybody's like, shoot, like fire away. And he should, I mean, he's shooting 60% from deep this year. And shout out to Wes Flanagan. Yeah, Wes. I mean, that was another thing I want. I want. I wanted to know if it picked up on on TV. 
Uh, he was animated like every single play and every single sequence. I mean, the man he was he was channeling Bruce's energy. It's like, hey, what are you gonna do when you don't have a Bruce? And it's like, man, Wes was getting into it just like he was Bruce. Um, and uh, offense widely defense. commented on, I think, was the alley oop. Uh, he seemed to have a little high step. Yep, yep, that, the second on one. one. Yeah, the second one to Devin and that and that little sequence, but. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a fun game, and and we'll we'll talk about it here more in detail. But if uh if you were listening to this and you uh, said hello uh, during uh during the game or before the game or after the game on on Saturday, thanks. That was very kind of you. It was good to see get, good to see some people. Good to see good to meet some uh, some readers and some listeners and some friends online for the first time. And um, it was just a, it was a fun. Uh, just a fun game of uh of basketball to cover. Um don't ask me about anything else that happened during the day because none of that was fun. I'll just I'll just say this. Uh we I I spent a lot of time on Saturday on on Friday night researching state farm parking because for the first time in my life I had to like figure out my own parking arrangement. So um but you know, you don't listen to this podcast to hear media people complain about anything, uh and I hate it uh, a ton, so this is why this is why I have Painter here with me to keep me keep me in line. I'll do the intro right here. Wait, we can put the music right here. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless in Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Howdy. Um, a lot of rough weather in uh, across the southeast, really. Uh, you know, parts go out to any of y'all who have been affected by the tornado, especially Kentucky. You know, Tennessee uh, had issues as well. It's it kind of moved around the, the, the whole southeast, and uh, uh, no matter... Where you are, what you were dealing with. Uh, hopefully, everybody's staying safe, and uh, and you know if uh, if you're in a spot uh, where you can give and um, uh, support some uh, some people doing work, uh, especially in those communities in Kentucky uh, where they you know, pretty much lost everything. Uh, be sure to do that. We'll try to include some links in the podcast to that uh, here when we post it. Um, everything going well in parts unknown. Thriving. What a fun day of basketball. What a fun day of basketball. We'll talk some football here towards the end of the podcast, but this is about basketball. This is about not just the basketball game Auburn had on Saturday. We got to talk about the weekend Auburn basketball just had. And I guess we should start with what happened on Friday. You know, I slept a little late on Friday morning, um, was up pretty late on Thursday night. So I woke up to my phone having a bunch of messages of people being like, are you are you going to be on the call at noon for the NCAA or and like I'm scrolling back like what in the world is happening? Of course, uh, the news uh, coming out that Auburn was going to hear its final judgment or whatever you want to call it from the NCAA uh, regarding the Chuck Person scandal painter, a scandal that <laughs> uh, the arrest was made four years ago, over four years ago, and they are just now getting around to, to wrapping it up. I want to know your I want to know your honest gut reaction. The news breaks on Friday morning. Hey, uh, the punishments or whatever sanctions, whatever you want to call them, are coming down at eleven o'clock central on Friday. 
your gut reaction. What, what did you think was about to happen, Aub? I think the most interesting part of this story and probably the part that hasn't been turned over as much is the penalties just really aren't that harsh. And I think that's probably, although I don't know it to be, a signal about the NCAA acknowledging that the sport and the power dynamic is shifting or has shifted. Mm. I think a few years ago this would have been a more serious problem for Auburn. Do you think, as some Auburn fans have put, kind of tongue-in-cheek but kind of not also, do you think Auburn's recent rise in basketball has has given them the kind of blue blood like <laughs> cover in these cases where it's like it's the old joke, you know, NCA finds something going on at Kentucky or Duke or Kansas, so they hammer, you know, mid-major X or, you know, school Y there. The fact that Auburn didn't get that dropped on them, um, you know, I, I think has something to do with the fact, like, yeah, I think, like you said, I think it has something to do with the fact that things are changing in the sport. And, you know, I had heard, man, this was probably about a year ago, that the NCAA's FBI, the FBI stuff, the FBI investigation, what the NCAA was going to do in the fallout of it was coming to an end and it wasn't going to be very harsh. I mean, this is something, this has been talked about for a while now. Um, and then Friday rolls around and it stands. Now, one of the things the NCAA said in, in their, in their ruling is that you know, usually we would give you another year of the postseason ban, but since Auburn was proactive and the timing of it, um, it turned out that, okay, well, you know, they're not going to slap Auburn with another one. And I wonder how much of it is the timing of this. And I think Jerry Hannon pointed this out. It was like, it's December. Like, if you ban this team from the postseason right now, you've just screwed an entire team of players who had nothing to do with this, all right? Had nothing at all to do with it. And, like, yes, we can talk about the coaches and how the assistants involved are no longer here and that Bruce Pearl, you know, Bruce Pearl's punishment isn't for being a part of this, but more of, like, hey, you should you probably knew about it, should have should have done something about it, you know, oversight, all that stuff, institutional control, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, of course. Um, but man, like, like if you slap somebody with it now, it's like, man, Auburn basketball looks really, really good. And you're just telling them, man, yeah, you can't go to the postseason. I wonder how much that had an impact in it. Because I think this, I think the punishments may feel a little bit different if, or they could have been even different if they come down in the summer and not in, in, you know, December the 10th. If they use that sort of prudence and consideration, then I guess thank you. That's just not something that the NCAA typically does. I hope that's the case. I mean, the tools in the toolbox comment certainly was a little bit odd. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to that point. Um, this was a, this was a quote from, um, the guy from the NCAA that was on to read us the, I, I, I I'll be honest with you, complete honesty. I signed up for that uh, for that press conference when I didn't know what the punishment was going to be. Then it happened, and then like the first five minutes of it was this guy just reading to us the like verbatim the the thing that had been released to everybody, and like it got early. I was like, man, I'm, I'm not I'm not staying. So I, I I checked out. I I peaced out. I wasn't writing anything off of it that day. You know, it, it had kind of been set, but yeah, uh, Vincent Nicastro. 
was asked to justify taking away scholarships from student athletes who weren't on campus during the scandal. He said, quote, it's just one of the tools in the toolbox. Okay. And I made the point that they will say that without blinking. And yet there are still a number of people who are in this industry that feel like it's their job to ask Stephen Godfrey calls a merit badge to be the hall monitors for the NCAA, right? And it's very pick and choose of like who they say, okay, well, no one should really care about this to, oh, you should definitely, I mean, you know, Auburn's getting away with something here or team Y or Z is getting away with it here. Look, I'm not going to name names here on this podcast. I'm above that. But you guys know who I'm talking about. You know the people they are. And they and they all band together. And it's like, you know, can you believe it? Ah, everyone's mad about this. And it's like, man, you gotta you gotta like take a big picture view of what was happening here. This was not illegal recruiting, right? So it wasn't getting players to come play for this team, it wasn't keeping players on the team either. If you remember correctly, the Chuck Person thing was, hey, we're gonna get you involved with these with with this guy and with these people. So that when you go to the NBA, <laughs> you will retain their services. That's it. That was the thing, right? It didn't give any sort of competitive advantage, even though they said there's like an inherent competitive advantage in everything, which is something you say when you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but it's it, it's not surprising to me because nothing surprises me about, about, especially people who write about the sport at a national level for the most part. But like, it's just, it's just wild to see a decent amount of people be like, this is my job. My job is to tell people what to think about what the NCAA may or may not have done here um, because we like it when they talk to us and give us information. That's it. That's it. They feel like that's that's part of their job. And it's like, cool, cool. I don't want to have anything to do with any of you people. (laughs) And, you know, it is funny when when certain Auburn fans invade their the those uh, certain writers' uh, Twitter mentions like they had just beaten them in a basketball game. I thought that was pretty funny. Oh, good work today on the uh, Nebraska final oh, man, score Nebraska. tweet. <laughs> and the problem with the Nebraska final score tweet is that there was some like it was a sponsored post, like their final score tweets are sponsored, and it was like some car dealership or something. Like, it was something like that. And it's like, man, they are getting flamed right now. It's like there's somebody who's just looking down like what in the world is going on here? Um so I I uh anyway in case in case you aren't hundred percent sure need a need a quick recap. What came down in the NCAA ruling on Friday was this. Auburn was not going to get banned for the postseason for this season. Right. They weren't going to have another postseason ban. They said the one last year turned out to be enough. They also said that the self-imposed recruiting um, sanctions that they had, um, the, the, the recruiting sanctions that they had around the time scandal happened, that also played into it. Um, but what it was is Bruce Pearl gets suspended for two games, the Nebraska game on Saturday, and then Tuesday against North Alabama. Uh, Auburn gets fined which is $5,000 plus 3% of the basketball budget. They're on probation for the next four years, which means in, you know, 
the easiest terms, hey, if you screw up, we're going to really throw the hammer down on you, so don't screw up. We're keeping our eyes on you. And over the next four years, they will have to take away two scholarships. Not two scholarships each year, but they will not be able to be at the full 13 all four of those years. So they'd have to be down, one would think, 12, uh, where they're at right now, by the way, um, for two of those years. Or they could, you know, I guess they could pile up and and take 11 a year. Um, People have called it a slap on the wrist painter. And I don't know if slap on the wrist is the right terminology for it because Auburn also took some of this on themselves. But, man, it could have been a whole lot worse. It could have been a whole lot worse on Friday for Auburn. I'm glad they did the self-imposed ban, you know. I mean, I know a lot of people that aren't as fond of Bruce Pearl have pointed out how convenient of timing that was. But uh, I guess they, you know, there's two strategies. You can sort of just totally dodge the NCAA or you can comply. Uh, And I think that they took some measures that would at least suggest that they were attempting to comply. And I'm glad that Mm -hmm. in this case the NCAA showed them favor. Yeah, they, you know, they... They could have done more, and they said they could have done more. And while, you know, like you said, I don't know how much of that is just kind of the shifting sands of what's going on with with NCA and enforcement right now, or is it a case more of um, what Auburn did in their compliance and their self-imposed things was going to be enough? But I think the bigger thing, I think the bigger thing for Auburn though is that it's over. You know, we heard. Uh, Wes Flanagan say it after the game on Saturday. He said it was like this huge sigh of relief. You know, it, we had had a dark cloud hanging over us, and it was good just to get that over with. Because the NCAA was kind of holding Auburn hostage for a little while in the fact that it's like, yeah, Auburn could be really, really good, but how, you know, how much would they be able to celebrate their success? Oh, by the way, they also have to vacate some wins, which isn't a real thing, but I guess it is technically. Bruce Pearl will get to get 600 wins again, I guess. And that would be before, that would be D'Angelo Purifoy and Austin Wiley. The games they played before they were suspended during that time, I guess, would probably be the best way to put it. As uh, Nathan King pointed out, the TJ Dunnan's uh, buzzer beater against Mercer technically doesn't count anymore, but I don't think you can take away those memories. I was at Rock and Roll Sushi when that happened. I uh, that, I was surprised I still had that video from from that from that game. It was one of one of the cooler shots and, and plays I can remember in Auburn Arena during during my time covering the team. So it's behind you now. You don't have to worry about the hammer dropping, the other shoe dropping, whatever metaphor you want to use there. You don't have to worry about that if you're Auburn. You can move on and move forward as a program, knowing what you've got to do, knowing that. Probably going to have more scrutiny on you, have a closer eye on you than 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 maybe even usual. But you can just kind of relax a little bit and know that whatever you're doing moving forward, you can stick to it, right? If this team has a really successful season, which they look like they could, you get to hold on to it, and it's going to count, and it's not going to get taken away from you for anything that happened four years ago. Right, Zepp Jasper was the only player on Auburn's roster right now that was even in college when this happened. Jabari Smith was a child. Like there were so many, there were so many things about this that were so weird and so long. And Penny, you watched the game on on ESPN uh, on Saturday. It sounds like Charles Barkley went in on the NCAA a little bit. 
there were some critiques. I didn't think it was particularly controversial, but uh, inefficiency from that organization to me is just not startling. I think I'm just more surprised at how like this isn't a major deal when you think back to the announcement of what this was in what 2018 when when this started trickling out and it was a big deal and the FBI was involved and it was going to be this groundbreaking change in basketball and really it's just Auburn is in a great spot. <laughs> I, I you buy into the notion that uh, this no. will make recruiting a little bit easier for Auburn. Potentially, I, I think it, it can only help them. I think Auburn's in a spot where they are recruiting at a really high level, and they have been in the. I mean. Jabari Smith exists. Sharif Cooper was on your team. So it didn't really hurt him, but like, I guess it can only, you know, be a benefit that when you get to this point and you can say, look, no matter what people are saying about us, you know, this is behind us now. Like, Auburn's going to have to be a little more selective on who they give scholarships to. And that's really just by the time you get to your 12th and 13th scholarships in, in college basketball, you're talking about walk ons who are now justly getting rewarded. For you know their work and getting a scholarship. I mean, let's not take that away. You know, putting guys like Preston Cook on a scholarship—that is a reward. That is you know saying, "Hey, thanks for you know we have this capability. Thanks for giving us time." And it also helps you have a more competitive and a better scout team um, to work with. So it definitely has an effect. But it would just be interesting to see how much how much of an effect it has uh, moving forward. And you know, it, it's just. You could tell on Saturday this was a team that was excited to get out there and play, even without Bruce Pearl. And I don't know, I you know, with the stuff going on with Nebraska this week about their the flu problems that they had and the fact that they had just gotten shelled by Michigan, and it, it wasn't a, necessarily a case of like, oh, Auburn better watch out here. Um, but it's still, I mean, that's a talented team. I, I've, I said it a couple times already. It's like, I like the roster they've got at Nebraska. I don't know why they can't put it all together. A friend of the program, Max Holson, who, who is in Nebraska was telling me that they, they, Nebraska has one of their top assistants that's away from the program right now. That might be having something to do with, with what's going on with the Huskers, but I mean, the McGowans are good. I thought Auburn did a really good job on Verge, uh, who was one of the better point guards in, in, in the country. You could tell that this team played with an extra little bit of energy and fire. Maybe some of that comes from playing in Atlanta and playing in front of guys like Kevin Durant or Charles Barkley, you know, getting on the mic and um, all the fans in, in, in an NBA venue cheering you on. But I, I think some of it also is just like this team kind of like they could breathe easy a little bit as a program and they, they turned it loose. And that was kind of the style. I mean, we can go into more of what will happen during the game, Auburn 99, Nebraska 68. You could kind of tell that the painter that this game kind of felt like Auburn just played loose on both ends of the floor, but especially on offense is like they were not sloppy with it. Um, but man, they were trying stuff and they were getting out and running. And it's just, it was a very loose and fun basketball game for Auburn. And, you know, it, it helped get them 99 points on the board. It's the most. They've had since the South Carolina game last year, most threes they've hit since the South Carolina game last year, most uh, best three-point percentage, they're 45.2% from deep, which is unreal good, and especially in a venue you're not used to. That's the most since the South Carolina game. So I watched the team on Saturday and just thought that they were playing with a lot of freedom and a lot of just, I don't know, this, this word can kind of get thrown around a little too much when you're talking about sports, but I, I kind of think it applies here. It's just they were playing like a joyful brand of basketball. It was very... 
they they looked like they were having a lot of fun, and of course it's it's fun to win by thirty. Thirty one in this case. I think there's some very uh specific areas where it's pretty obvious if they tighten things up, they become a very difficult team to beat. And they're so deep. I think you wrote about that recently. Their depth is a major asset once we get into what will be some really, I think, close games and conference play and ultimately the tournament. They uh yeah, Auburn played a uh, they played, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys, I believe, double digit minutes. Didn't have Chris Moore on, on Saturday. Um, he was not, he was not out there. Auburn, like, like we said earlier, Auburn was dealing with the flu a little bit. So that might have had something to do with it. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but they had five guys scoring double figures, had a ton of guys contribute, ton of guys got, uh, multiple rebounds, ton of guys got multiple assists. You had your seven foot one center have five steals in the game to go along with your six one veteran guard. Um, everybody contributed. It was, it was, it's not that Nebraska, I thought Nebraska, you know, they hit some shots, especially in the second half, uh, shot, shot fairly well in the second half when they weren't turning the ball over. Um, and they've got some weapons, but it's just Auburn's depth. Once again, it's just very relentless when you look up and. I think the best example of that right now is what you're getting. Well, I think there's two of them. I, one of them is, all right, Jabari Smith, and if Jabari's not on the floor, Jalen's on the floor, and sometimes they're on the floor together, which is a pretty tough, uh, tough ask, ask, I should say, for anybody uh, trying to defend them. But the big one to me is Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green Jr. Zepp, um, once again, great defense, uh, hit a couple threes in this game. Best uh, plus minus on the team once again. That's just constant for a guy like him at this point. And Wendell Green Jr., once again, since he's gone to the bench, he has played really, really well. 19 points, six rebounds, six assists, uh, including some memorable alley-oops, one off the board to Jabari Smith, a one really, really good one in, in, on, in transition to Devin Cambridge, who had a great game as well, but I mean, Auburn at any point in time is going to have either their best player from last season or their best player from this season on the floor. And then in the backcourt, you're going to have either a really experienced point guard who can really man the ship uh, on offense or a guy that can shoot from anywhere on the floor and um, is one of the most creative and vision, um, you know, vision, visionary, I guess is the best way to put it, kind of passers out there. Uh, kind of like what you had last season to a degree with with Sharif Cooper. I'm going to pivot here, but yeah, Devin Cambridge perpetually frustrating me. Man, that guy is playing pretty well. <laughs> he is – his net rate – I'm, I'm going to probably do a story on it sometime this week. I mean, his numbers are just off the charts good. His offensive rating is one of the best on the team. His plus minus is usually really good. Um, he uh, – 14 points. So here's a, here's Devin's line a line from Saturday. 14 points, six of eight from the field, two of three from deep. Right? Efficiency was his kind of his his issue this first two seasons. You really can't say that about him right now. And, and earlier in the season, he had he had trouble kind of finding a shot. It he's just in the flow of the game right now and is just playing really really well. And there are not a ton of people in college basketball that could have pulled off that reverse alley oop that he had from Walker. Which number one? Keep in mind that's that is a seven foot one player lobbing that alley oop, and the way he caught it and the way he finished it. There's just not very many guys who can be able to pull that off. I mean, Devin is a rare type of athlete, even for this team. 
And he is now playing this veteran, stable, consistent role on both ends of the floor. It's not just necessarily, hey, we need you to go be the volume shooter or we need you to lead the – like most of the time when he's on the floor, he's the third, fourth, fifth option out there. And that's fine because the more attention got, it goes to guys like Katie Johnson or Wendell Green or Jabari Smith or Walker Kessler – the easier opportunities he's going to get. And he is, I mean, he's playing really, really, really well. And I've kind of been been leading the charge. I'm just like, man, Devin's having an awesome year so far. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Allen comes back and what he what that does for his playing time and how he adjusts. But, I mean, it, he, he just, he showed it offensively. He showed why he was special on Saturday. But the defense and it was weird. He didn't have any rebounds in this game, which is re- weird for him. Um, but Auburn's front court was doing a great job of, of crashing the boards in this one. Um, it, it, the defense and the, and the, and the work he does in town of the dirty, the dirty work is, I mean, he's been doing that all year. He's been doing that all year. And I think some of his offense is starting to catch up with it. How about Kessler with five steals? Five steals. Now, he stole the ball a lot for a big man at North Carolina. That was one of the things that they really, really liked about him coming out is that he was disruptive, not just as a shot blocker, which he's very good at that. But, man, five steals from a big dude, five points, seven boards, uh, five (laughs) steals. Uh, He had had a couple assists as well. Um, What Nebraska was doing very often is they were taking verge and they were doing a lot of ball screens. They're doing like a lot of like one of the one five ball screens. And what would happen there in that case is Auburn was trying to find different ways to slow down verge. And sometimes they would ice it. Sometimes they would trap off of it. They would double. They would switch. They were constantly changing things up with their defense on how they handled verge. And that was something West Flanagan said coming into the game was one of their keys is we got to be a better ball screen defending team. They're going to do that a ton with verge. Verge in this game, 10 points. Seven turnovers, four assists, five rebounds. He played a decent game, but the seven turnovers, 20 for, for Nebraska in total. Auburn had 16 steals as a team. Part of that was just your big man was getting up there and getting his hand in passing lanes and getting, getting disruptive because Nebraska was going to like, you know, most of the time you can say, well, we've got a really good point guard. If you're going to play man on us, we'll bring our big man up there. We'll let him screen. And then you have to decide what you want to do. You want to switch. You want to stay. You want to go high. You want to go low. You want to ice. You want to do all these different things. But we feel like we we know what we can do and we can win those matchups. But when your center that you're bringing into it is very athletic for his size, and you know at seven one has an insane wingspan and gets in those lanes, it just it it, it means a lot. It means a lot. And he 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 has a good nose for the ball, not just blocking shots, but also finding the way to uh, to get in past the lanes and be disruptive. And that's that's something we saw at North Carolina out of him. And I think you're saying you're going to see it more and more as time goes on, especially when you start playing more teams here, these power conference teams and these SEC teams where teams are not going to be quite as block. You know, they're, they're not going to be as susceptible block to blocks as some of these other teams have been that Auburn's played where a guy like Kessler can rack up. What's up, Wendell Green? It's just Wendell, man. He, uh, it looks like Jared. It, it just looks like Jared again. And he's not the starter, <laughs> which is funny to think of. He had six assists leading the team again. 
off the bench, man, this dude is like averaging like over five assists a game coming off the bench since he's moved down there. And this was a game where Katie Johnson didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Uh, I'm looking at it. He was six of 11 from, from inside the arc though. So that's not bad at all. Um, but he had four fouls, turned the ball over a couple times. He didn't play nearly as much as usual. And it was like, it got to a point there, especially in that second half where it was like, well, Wendell's not getting, you know, you're not taking Wendell off the floor right now. Um, because of how well he's playing. And we said it, we said it coming into the season. He has that ability. He has that game about him. He has that instinct where he's going to take a game over. And we saw that here in the second half. Nebraska cuts it to 15. Auburn was getting a little lackadaisical on, on, on defense. Um, Flanagan, Wes Flanagan said after game, you know, Bruce Pearl usually lets people, those guys play through their mistakes like that. Meanwhile, I thought it was funny. Uh, uh, Fred Hoiberg like fired off three timeouts in the first half. Like he was, <laughs> he was like, "Nope, timeout. Nope, nope, nope. We're not doing that." Uh, meanwhile, Auburn let their guys play through it, and of course, they had a bigger lead for it. It was fifteen point game, and then you look up and he goes steal layup, three pointer, three pointer, and then by the time Auburn starts rotating again, they're up by thirty two at that point. Well. KD got to watch Jabari, maybe a little scouting, maybe a little scout, maybe a guy who, maybe a guy who kind of looks like, you know, a little bit, you know, got the got the big, the big uh, wiry frame can shoot. For, there are a couple of shots. There was one. Um, There's this one in the first half where Jabari drives in, and he's making a, he, he's driving in and hits a little step back, about it, a little bit inside the. You know, right in between the free throw line and the three point line, he hits this fadeaway mid range jumper, and Durant just is over on the side, just shaking his head at it. Like that's got to be. I mean, everybody's going to want to watch watch Jabari Smith, and this is a dude who NBA draft people are more and more of them are starting to come out and say like this dude could be the number one overall pick because in this game on Saturday, like look, Wendell was great. Um but Jabari, 21 points, 7 of 13 from the field, 3 of 6 from deep. He was 4 of 4 from the line, 5 boards, 4 assists, 1 turnover, 2 steals in 23 minutes. One of the most efficient games you're going to see from anybody in college basketball, much less a true freshman. And it's like, it's it's just like, what is going to be next from this dude? Because now it's not like, he's not the dude who's going to necessarily come out. I don't think it's his style. He's not necessarily going to come out and have these games where it's like he had all these highlight reel plays or he dropped 40 or, you know. But it's just going to be, you're going to look up at the end of the game. You're going to be like, man, he was the best player on the floor. And, like, he wasn't even out there a ton. Like, he played uh, one, two, three, four, the fifth most minutes of anybody from Auburn on Saturday. He did it again. This is something he's just kind of used to doing now. He doesn't need to play a huge amount of minutes, especially not early in the season, to be like, nope, yeah, this is this is NBA quality. This is this is potential number one overall pick quality. And that's a that's that's a rare thing. That's a rare thing for any program, much less Auburn. What else do we think about like this team as it sort of rounds out non conference play? Because we can keep going down the list. I mean, Auburn had a good performance out of its bench. It was good in the fast break. Like you said, not really Sure, why this Nebraska team doesn't look a little better to this point? It's baffling to me, dude. Like, I, I don't know. I found myself really enjoying them, except for their uniforms. His uniforms are really bad. I don't know what they're trying to go for there. Um, it's, it's crazy to think 
that, you know, a 31-point win, Auburn was favored by what, 14, 13 and a half, something like that coming into this game? It wasn't – I mean, they were supposed to take care of business, but the fact that they did it to this degree was pretty remarkable. Auburn jumped all the way to 11th in Kempom with this win. And, Painter, as we record this, I don't know if you're aware, Kentucky lost at Notre Dame. First time Kentucky's played a decent team somewhat. I mean, Notre Dame's now 4-4. Four and four. First time they played a, a, a power conference team since Duke on opening night, they lost. Georgia Tech's hanging in there with LSU as we as we recorded this. Oklahoma beat the dog out of Arkansas. I don't know what happened there. I just I looked up and saw saw that score kind of late. Um, so there's value. Bama plays Houston later on, uh, which should be a really fun game. Uh, but there's value, I think, if you're Auburn right now, even just in your own conference, looking up and saying, we're, we haven't had the slip up yet. We haven't had the struggle. Like Auburn, we talked about it, Painter, and I don't know how, I don't know how much you agree with me at this point, but uh, at that point, but, um, we talked about it heading into the season is that this non-conference schedule wasn't hard for Auburn. It, it, it didn't have, Baylor and Gonzaga on it like last year's did, but it was potentially tricky. I mean, they've only played a couple of teams that aren't very good or very talented, and they're going to play one in North Alabama on uh, on Tuesday night that's got a long long way to go. But, I mean, they're three wins away from getting out of this with the only loss they had coming in two overtimes in a game where they could have they beaten a really good UConn team uh, in that game. And it's just... Not everybody's going through that. Florida had their ugly loss. You've seen other teams have in the SEC and, and elsewhere have have pretty tough losses in non-conference play. There's tremendous value in just get going out there and just getting it done. Musselman lost his cool today. That was kind of funny. 22 points to Oklahoma. That's something I just did not expect. Just did not expect to see that at all uh, from from that Arkansas team. And, you know, here's the thing. I'm not breaking any news here. Auburn basketball is going to lose at some point again, and they'll lose probably multiple times for this more, most likely almost assuredly will lose multiple times before the season's over. Um, so Auburn might have those games coming up where they don't play nearly as well, or they catch somebody at the wrong time. And it just doesn't look good. But I mean, there's a decent amount of teams ahead of them that lost. I know, I know that, um, I know that AP rankings aren't beyond all end all, but this is a top 15 basketball team. This is a top 15 basketball team, and they're only going to get better from here, one would think, because they have Alan Flanagan coming back, and you can see it like with the point guards, the lights coming on for some of these dudes that are new, and you're seeing them take more control of their roles, taking more control, and – you can talk about the shots, shot selection being iffy in this game, but I, I, I didn't think you correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't look up at any point during the Auburn game on, on Saturday and think, oh, these, these guys, these guys are having a hard time figuring it out on offense or they're, you know, that half court game's getting a little, little stagnant again. Like I think they've kind of worked through a lot of that as well. The 99 points would agree. Yeah. Yeah. 99 points is usually a good sign. Usually, usually a pretty, pretty good sign. Uh, that you that you know what you're doing. I had completely forgotten about them curb stomping South Carolina. That was a fun thing to read. Yeah, I mean, and that was the last time Auburn's offense looked quite like that. Um, and so that counts. 
that should count for for a lot. Um, I think if you're I think if you're Auburn is that you know Nebraska's not a great defensive team. Uh, they pack the pa- they really try to pack the paint and uh, because they're not very they're not very well sized, especially in the front court. And so they give up a lot of threes, and Auburn hit a lot of threes. And as I wrote in the observations on Saturday, there's there's a lot there's a lot to be said for Auburn that if you go into an NBA venue and you have your best three point shooting day in almost a year, um, you're going to be playing in more arenas like that. You're going to be playing in more venues like that where the sight lines are that way and the stands are far back, your depth perception, all that, all that stuff that affects shooters. And they just went in and just let it fly. And, and and played really really well and and that's that's an awesome sign for the future I think for Auburn is because you're going to be playing in at least one more maybe two or three more venues like that this this season uh, in games that really really count um, and so it's not like you we've seen Auburn a, a couple of times uh, and they kind of had a little bit of it early in the season um, where they go away from 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 almost a jerk here. When they go away from Auburn Arena and and, uh, and have a hard time scoring, having a hard time shooting, doesn't seem to be the case. They shot well in the Bahamas and they're and they're they shot well in Atlanta on Saturday. I think at this point, Auburn fans should be pretty pleased. I know that's uh, you know I don't want to get ahead of myself here. It'll be a, it'll be a treacherous little run through SEC oh, yeah. play, but right now things seem to be in a good place. Things seem to be at a very very good place if you are Auburn. And, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, – I want to go to something that uh, Wes Flanagan said after the game. By the way, how cool would that have been, put yourself in Wes Flanagan's shoes? This is a guy who played at Auburn, had an opportunity after, you know, his time as a head coach didn't work out at, at Little Rock, has an opportunity to come back to Auburn, be an assistant, he gets to coach his son. As he said, circumstances weren't the way he wanted it to, but the opportunity to be a head coach again and not only – get that opportunity, but put up 99 points away from home against a power conference team, win by 31. And as he said, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm 1-0, you know, best best winning percentage in Auburn basketball history. But I want to go back to something he said, and I want to read this quote here. He It was a question I asked him in, in the press conference, and I was like, basically, were you surprised or what would you what did you think about how well the team played without Bruce? And he said, you know, I wasn't surprised at all. Again, BP is building a culture here. He's built a program. It's more than one voice, even in games when he's here. He trusts our staff. He trusts our players. So we just wanted to go out and play Auburn basketball. Our guys stayed true to who they were. I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of the ultimate compliment. The way Auburn played on Saturday is the ultimate compliment to Bruce Pearl. Of course, his staff did a marvelous job. Wes did a good, uh, did a great job, I'm sure. Stephen Pearl will do a great job on, on Tuesday being the head coach. It's a very collaborative process. Bruce is always constantly giving credit to his assistants, giving a credit credit to his staff members of putting it all together uh, and helping him out. But I think it's a real testament to this to this program and what he has built and how far it's come that you have this situation where your head coach has to step aside for a couple of games, um, and they play as well as they do. We talk about the depth of Auburn on the floor with their roster. I think it goes to the same thing with their staff. And it's just Bruce has built something that where I know these aren't the two toughest teams in the world to play, but you take a step back 
from this from from this game have to serve this suspension, and they play as well as they did all year. Like that, that I think shows, you know, just how great of a job Bruce Pearl has done in building this program to get it to where it is at this point. And there's a long way to go in this season. We don't know how good they are going to end up being. But like you were saying, Painter, you know, Auburn fans should be pretty excited about what's happening right now. And I think I think Saturday was just a great testament of what Bruce Pearl has built. Love it. Wes Flanagan, good work. Uh, Stephen Pearl, I think that's interesting. He's given both of them a chance to do it. So the reason for that is, if, you know, in case in case you don't know, a lot of times when when teams get ready for games, there's an assistant coach in, in basketball that will have the scout. And what that means is that coach was in charge of helping put together the game plan of scouting. They work in advance to break down the team, and, uh, and then they rotate. So one guy's always working on somebody in advance. The head coach kind of puts it all together and, why Flanagan was the coach on Saturday was the head coach on Saturday is because he had the scout for Nebraska, former Nebraska assistant, by the way, uh, Wes Flanagan. It was easy to say, hey, you already know this team and, and the matchups and all that. You're the guy that it w- was in charge of us. Let's just move you on up to the head job. Same thing. Tuesday, Stephen Pearl, that was his assignment. And so he will be the, uh, he will be the head coach against North Alabama. Um, so that's how, that's how they decided, determined that. Uh, looking ahead to North Alabama, because we will not have a podcast between now and then. Uh, UNA, the Lions are currently two ninety seven on Ken Palm. Oh, uh, they buddy. will have they will have a long break. Um, their last game was against Alabama A and M last Wednesday. Here's the here's the schedule so far for UNA. They lost three of their first four games. Those are the only only. F- Three games they played against teams rated in the three uh, above the three hundreds on Kempon. They lost by twenty six on opening night to Mississippi State. They lost by four to Manhattan, and they lost by sixteen to an Iona team that, uh, as we know, beat Alabama. Um, they also beat the University of the Virgin Islands uh, by fifty two at one point. Um, they also beat a team called Oakwood. Uh, by 55, non-D1 team. They also beat Carver by 63, non-D1 team. There are three D1 games they've won this year, Alabama State, Mississippi Valley State, and Alabama A&M. Those are 337, 358, and 336 on Kempom. And you may be asking, how many Division One teams are there in college basketball? 358. Mississippi Valley State is dead last. Um, this is a UNA team that is not very experienced. Uh, one of the shortest teams in college basketball this year. And they have a couple of 6'10 guys, but most of their lineup is either 6'3", six, 6'4", uh, 6'5", six, 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 or shorter. Their starting point guard is 5'9". Their starting shooting guard is 6'0". Kempom has Auburn projected to win this one by 28. This one's probably not going to be even remotely close. For Auburn, this is this was the one game heading into the into the season where he said you circled it and said that's the one that's probably going to be the the big blowout. And of course, Auburn has beaten a team by twenty eight and twenty three and uh, twenty one and uh, twenty two and now thirty one this season. Um, and yet, this is going to be the game that's probably going to be the most lopsided in terms of matchup heading into it. So, it'll be interesting to see how Auburn puts all that together because they should be able to make it look rather easy on Tuesday night in the arena. I mean, I would, I would kind of like slaughtering 
that's probably what you're going to get. It's probably what you're going to get. North Alabama um, is one of the worst shooting teams against D1 opponents this season. They have gotten blocked more than all but 10 teams in college basketball this year and on a rate perspective. Uh, they do not rebound the ball well. Now, they will pressure, it looks like, and they and they will um, try to clog the lanes and, and get disruptive. They gave up a lot of three-point attempts. They gave up a lot of assists. Uh, and like I said, they have not played a team in the top 100. of. Uh, they've only played two top uh, two, <laughs> 300 teams in I'm sorry, they played top three top 300 teams in Ken Palm right now, uh, and they have gotten to beat up on some non-D1 teams and some SWAC teams recently. But, man, I feel bad for them. They they get a, they get a, a game against Southeastern Baptist, uh, which I don't know where that is. Um, I probably should. But uh, then they play at UCF and then at Gonzaga before starting conference play. So... UNA, they deserve the little break they got for about a month where they got to, they got to string some wins together because this is going to get, it's going to get real challenging here real quickly. I believe you mentioned the uh, University of the Virgin Islands and that would be a fun place to play basketball. I, I would, I would agree. And now that I think about it, Laurent Smith played for the, uh, yeah, Laurent Smith played for the, uh, Virgin Islands national team, former Auburn big man Laurent Smith. But yeah, that would, that would be pretty fun. I've always thought that like, the other thing is like, I don't know how they recruit and I don't know how they got there. And I, I don't think they're, I don't think they, don't think they play there every year anymore, but that always seemed to me like if, if you could play for a small school, wouldn't you like to play for Chaminade, the team that always hosted the Maui? Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, we'll get to play on national TV. And I think now they do it some sort of rotation or something like that where they're not in the field every year. But yeah, some of these, Playing some of these small venues kind of fun too. Yeah. And it's a small venue. It's actually a gym. It's not a small venue like the, the one Auburn played in in the Bahamas where it's like, this is a ballroom of a hotel. And we, we, <laughs> we threw some basketball goals in there. Have some fun. Shout out to the, uh, Shout out to the University of the Virgin Islands. Uh, you had a tough time against UNA, but uh, maybe Auburn will maybe Auburn will defend your your and uh, LeBron Smith's honor on uh, on Tuesday night. Is there anything else we want to add about basketball before we before we move on? You got anything I'm else? Pretty pleased. Pretty pleased. Painters pleased. That's that's and that's what matters most. That's what the that the program's really me. fighting for. It's what the program's fighting for. That's that's their. It's their uh, measurement of success is mm-hmm. will painters say nice things about us on the podcast this week. Mm-hmm. And you know mm-hmm. what? That's a that's a smart thing to do. That's a smart thing to do if you are if you're Auburn basketball. All right. Before we move on even further, you're already listening to this show, which makes you a uh, a great friend of ours, and uh, we appreciate you very very much. Um, if you are a subscriber to the Auburn Observer. We appreciate you even more if you're a member of the Inner Circle. And if you want to be a member of the Inner Circle, you want to get all the newsletters at the Observer and you want to get the bonus podcast once a week, uh, which usually comes out on Thursdays, you can subscribe at auburnobserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year. If you get emails for these podcasts, if you're on the free list, there's an easy button to sign up there. It also makes a great gift for the holidays. Uh, I know a few of you um, bought some gift subscriptions for friends and family members this week. Uh, so, uh, including a couple of people who have reached out and said they were giving them a secret Santa gifts, which I think is pretty cool. Um, you can do that at auburnobserver.com. But you might not be in a spot to subscribe right now. And we still appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. 
But we'll, what we'll ask you to do, as we do every week, is help us out in another way. Painter, let them know what they can do. Rate, review, subscribe. It's easy. 20 seconds. You can go in detail or you can just, you know, say I'm here because I was told to go here. We will we will happily accept that. Here are two more reviews. And if you do a five-star review and write something nice, we'll read it here on the podcast because we're very vain people. Uh, this is from AU Jeeper. It says, Painter is my overlord. Painter told me to rate this five stars. I do what I am told. We're eagle. That's what you call following instructions right there. Thank you, AU Jeeper. Also, some guy down south, his review is something nice about Painter. It's following instructions. That's it's literally that's all you have to do. And it helps us out a ton because it gets more people uh, listening to this podcast and it gets more eyeballs on the product and it allows us to keep doing this uh, for a living, which is very, very fun. All right. Uh, so that is rate, review, subscribe. Auburn Observer, get an Apple device of some kind and review in the podcast app. We also need to take this time to shout out our good friends at homefieldapparel.com. Painter, I know you saw the big news on Saturday related to Homefield and that special congratulations and a shout out goes to one of my favorite players I've ever covered at Auburn, Sean Shivers. He's going to Indiana. He's going to the land of Homefield. He's going to be a Hoosier. Shout out to Worm. And the Hoosiers. Um, so maybe, maybe uh, I know Auburn fans are already petitioning to have some sort of NIL deal between Homefield and Sean Chivers, which I think would be pretty, pretty awesome. If you don't know Homefield Apparel uh, yet, uh, what are you waiting on? Homefieldapparel.com uh, is the number one place to get vintage collegiate apparel for your team and a bunch of other teams that you may love or may learn to love. Uh, we're talking sweatshirts, we're talking t-shirts, we're talking hoodies, the most comfortable ones in the world. They've got some joggers, uh, that are, uh, pretty high quality as well. They sell stickers or some of their coolest designs. All that is at homefieldapparel.com. 15% off if you use the promo code observer when checking out for the first time, uh, at Homefield Apparel. Auburn stuff at Homefield. You know, they've had some things sell out because it is the Christmas season. This is the holidays. Uh, as Painter always says. Um, but we've got, uh, let's see, we've got a ton of T-shirts still available, a couple of sweatshirts I want to shout out here. Saw a couple of you wearing these in Atlanta. Saw a lot of home field in Atlanta. But these, this one is specifically the Navy sweatshirt where I'll be sticking his arm through the rim like Vince Carter. That's always a hit. Uh, other sweatshirts uh, with Sailor Albee looking fierce in front of an A. Uh, that's also available. Uh, the hoodies are sold out at the moment, but uh, they're going to try to restock those as soon as possible. But maybe you just want to get some T-shirts. It's a little warmer down here than usual uh, for this time of year. Lots of really cool T-shirts, Auburn basketball, and a couple of Auburn baseball, uh, one Auburn baseball design, uh, a couple of Auburn football designs as well, and some general university ones. You can find all that at homefieldapparel.com and a bunch of other schools, like I said, that you may either love or learn to love uh, here coming up. Uh, and uh, better hurry if you want to if you want to get your orders in in time for the holidays. Uh, but if you get a little money or you, you get you want to you want some stuff after the holidays, Homefield is always good about dropping some sales after the fact. So keep an eye out on that. Now that I've said all that, want to talk football? Yeah. Talk do you football. do you know how they sold uh, Sean on Indiana? Do you know enough about their roster to I know don't, if he'll be the starting back or, or what have you? 
I think he'll have a chance. Um, if I remember correctly, I believe Indiana's running back from last season, meaning 2020, their really good season, was no longer there. Yeah, they didn't run the ball particularly well this year, 3.2 yards per carry, um, and their top running back was a senior. So probably an op- opportunity for them after. Yeah, Stevie Scott was their, was their big running back in 2020. Um, so it looks like there's just depth chart availability right here for Indiana. I know Indiana's recruited the state of Florida pretty hard. Recently, that's where Sean's originally from. Um, so I, I like it. I think it's going to be a fun move. It's, uh, I think it'll be cool to see him get an opportunity. I think he'll fit their offense. And as always, anybody who hits the portal uh, from Auburn, we wish them the best of luck. Um, and and especially a guy like Sean because he was a uh, he was a really really fun dude to cover, really fun dude to talk to during his time here. So hope, hoping he has a ton of success in the land of the Hoosiers. Football. Where do we want to start with this? It's a big week. Could be a really big week. Do we know anything about the quarterback? <sighs> Me personally, no. I don't know anything definitive on the quarterback. I will say this. He has said for a while that he had not made a decision yet. I think that's a hint number one. Number two, he did talk about every time he talked about making a decision about graduating, which he did over the weekend. I do wonder how much the offensive coordinator search will impact. I would imagine it has some sort of influence on who the uh, you know if if he decides to stay or go, or you know what what Auburn's plans are, what Brian Harson's plans are at offensive coordinator. We'll say this: a couple of names that have been floated for this job, including one rather recently by a couple of outlets uh, of coaches that are currently in the NFL. The NFL still has several weeks left in their regular season, so. I'm retiring somebody from the NFL. It might be a little while before we hear anything from it uh, in terms of a, a hire there. Just want to keep that in mind. Um, and, again, there are some other guys uh, that have been linked to the job that are coaching in some pretty important games here coming up. We shall see when it comes to Bo Nix. I do think now that he has graduated, now that Auburn is kind of getting closer to getting things going in terms of Bowl practices and recruiting is going to be really ramping up this week. I, I do wonder if if there's if we've gotten closer to, you know, I don't know how close, but I know you know we're getting closer to some sort of resolution one way or another. I can't say, me personally, if anything has been decided or not. Um, I know there have been um, a lot of people reporting, um, and and you know this has been a thing that's gone on for weeks now. Uh, but I'll, I can just tell you what I know, and is that it seemed like the graduation. He wanted. It seemed to me that it looked like he wanted to um, get through graduation before making a decision, and now that is behind him. All right. What does Auburn do from here? I think we had to. We had to at least mention it because it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The talk of the town. But now this bowl period, I do want them to win the game. But obviously, you're also forward looking with your bowl preparation because at the end of the day, this is just an exhibition. What's Auburn doing right now as they get ready for bowl preparation? Well, they're recruiting their tails off at the moment. Yeah, that's really priority one. You're right. You know, we're not we're not recruiting experts on here, uh, as we say always here at the Observer. Support the folks who are recruiting experts. A lot of really good ones who cover Auburn at the at the big outlets. Um, so give them their your time, your clicks, your money, because um, they're going to give you a whole lot more information, a whole lot more detail than anything I can give you uh, about recruiting. But what I do know is this. Um, I think Auburn's got more potential to move up in the recruiting rankings than any team, if not the SEC, maybe even all of the major D1 schools on uh, on Wednesday. 
And I say that because Auburn's got a small class right now. There are three teams that are far and away the top recruiters in the SEC this cycle, uh, in some order, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, and depending on where you're looking. The usual suspects who are really good at recruiting year in and year out, Florida and LSU, are in transitional classes right now um, and have lost some commitments. Billy Napier at Florida has already kind of come out and said, hey, we're going to sign a pretty small class, kind of like what the situation Auburn was in last year. The number four recruiting class right now, the last time I checked for the SEC, was Missouri. And if you look at the, the Missouri average recruit ranking, Auburn just needs to get a few more blue-chip guys, and they could probably get a better class than even Missouri. And so you look at it kind of position by position, Auburn's got a, I mean, I would say around a dozen guys. They got a realistic shot at getting somewhere in that neighborhood, 10, 10 11, 12, maybe a little bit more. That they'll, they will be in the fight for either on Wednesday or earlier in the week in the case of a guy like Austin Osbury, who's a, uh, who's a, def- a top defensive back target, uh, from Louisiana. This is a situation where Auburn doesn't have to win all their battles to get a really good recruiting class. They have positioned themselves to have at, at, at positions of need where they have multiple targets that are most of them are four stars. You know, you've got a couple of really good three stars, some Juco players that they like, but a lot of these guys are like needle movers when it comes to rankings, when it comes to being in the blue chip ratio, which is what Auburn always wants to be in. Um, they've got a lot of room to grow. And I'm not saying this is going to be a class where you get to the end of it and say, this is what, Auburn should be doing year in and year out. Like, I think Auburn's going to want to be pushing closer to that top 10 range, and that's probably a a bridge too far this year. But there's potential for them to be exactly where they need to be Um, in a year one, a full cycle with a staff that is largely made up of people who are not usual SEC recruiters that are kind of getting that experience and buying and buying building those oh wow that was a slip uh building <laughs> building those collections not all right not not saying anything there whoops um building those con- connections buying time is what i meant to say building those con- connections um cuz 2023 obviously is is a big one especially in the state of alabama and in the southeast for recruiting um so yeah i mean i think you know Auburn has a really good shot of making a move on Wednesday where you can look at it at the end of the day and be like, man, Auburn did a really good job of closing. And that's what we've said all all year long, really, as Auburn has been like, man, they're second worst in the SEC in recruiting. What are they doing? What are they doing? And the word has been throughout the throughout the season is just like, it really only matters where you're at on signing day. Where, when the dust settles, where are you at? Because you can have commitments for a long time, and it really doesn't matter that much if you can't hold on to them or if you close really, really well, you can overcome that. Well, Auburn, here's your opportunity. Can you close well? If you can, you're talking about putting yourself in a position in the future to continue to build the program in the way that Harson and the staff wants it to be and hopefully be more competitive against some of the some of the better teams in the league and also – Take advantage of the fact that some of your rivals, like in LSU or Florida, even though you don't play them regularly, are in transition mode, and then hit the portal because I think the portal is going to have to be really, really big for them. Certainly agree with the statement that it seems like Auburn is in a position going into signing day to actually have what I think would have been viewed even a few weeks ago before Auburn lost a bunch of games, like as a very 
great way to finish now that you add on the six and six season. You know, should Auburn finish around top 15? It's not going to be good enough in the long term, but it's, I, I think again, kind of a, a place that a lot of people will be okay with this year. It's just, I think the only thing about, I don't want to be complacent. Right. Like you mentioned, staying in the blue chip ratio. We've talked about it endlessly. If Auburn was going to go, what, eight and four, even nine and three. And I think the way this class could be shaping up, you would have been excited about it. Like now that it's six and six, this feels like a real opportunity. Yeah, it's kind of like it's it's surprising because it seems like Auburn's four game losing streak to end the year, then the regular season has not really had a huge impact negatively on the way they've recruited. Um, I think the atmosphere and just everything that went on in the Iron Bowl, even though it came out as a loss for Auburn, helped them. Um, I think the the hirings at LSU and Florida have been beneficial for or look to potentially be very beneficial. I mean, they're in the they're in the running for. Several guys that were at least former LSU commitments or are currently LSU commitments. We'll see about, we'll see about Florida. Um, but they, they've gotten in the mix for some guys that, that were, you know, maybe not Florida leans, but people thought that Florida had a really good shot at them. Um, but so with the portal, things are going to be constantly changing, but you know, I think between. The, the losing streak and not having an offensive coordinator, if you've been able to manage through that without necessarily having uh, a big negative impact on your recruiting and your recruiting classes, like, again, this is not, like you said, Perry, you don't want to get complacent. Like, this isn't the end. This is what you hope is the beginning. Like, this is the baseline, and now you build from there in terms of your recruiting class rankings under Harson. Um but I think it would be a pretty, I think it would be a pretty well done job. Now it's just got to get done, right? You know, you can say Auburn's got a shot at a lot of these guys, but if you don't land them, you got to, yeah, you still got to close. You still have to close and, and like being change in position, so much. Being in position a week from now or whatever, if they don't end up having a strong finish, will just feel like another wasted opportunity. And it seems like recently Auburn has really racked up those wasted opportunities. Yeah, and so this is a off the field opportunity that can be a really big one for Auburn uh, if they can if they can get it done. Uh, speaking of Auburn, uh, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Painter, but uh, the quarterback commitment Auburn's got in this class is expected to sign this week. Holden Garner threw for like nearly four hundred yards in his state title game uh, earlier this week, uh, bringing home the Georgia state title uh, for his classification. Uh, the Alabama Mississippi All Star Game had some Auburn uh, players in the mix. Uh, as we were recording this, my brother sent me a uh, a link to uh, Alex McPherson, uh, the kicker uh, kicker commitment for Auburn. He had a 58 yarder in the Alabama Mississippi All Star Game. Uh, Mark Kelly played in it. There's a number of other guys that played in it that Auburn's in the mix for, or uh, I've currently got commitments for. So. You know, you can already look at the early, the early, uh, crop and, and some of the guys that Auburn are, are going to try to pull in, um, here that could be kind of the foundation moving forward. Uh, and I think the on field, the on field production for, for some of these guys has been really, really impressive. And, uh, I know it's going to be weird not having a Carlson kicking anymore for Auburn, but, uh, McPherson, I think is as much as any high school kicker has, has done a really good job of thinking like, you know what? I think Auburn's going to be fine. I think Auburn's going to be fine at, 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 as a kicker. 
whatever Auburn has to do this offseason, it better involve an offensive line. Oh, I'd love to watch an offensive line that could block consistently that's the, next that, season. That, that's that's me the, would be a thrill. That's the thing that is one of the biggest X factors in like the upcoming, you know, Bo Nix decision one way or another. One of the things that where Auburn did a good job of, you know, their best on offense is that Bo's ability to escape and, and, you know, kind of, you know, this is harsh sounding, but kind of overcome some of the issues Auburn had on the offensive line. You know, it's something that TJ Finley just doesn't have in his, in his, in his, in his locker right now, you know, at his point, it's just, he's a different type of quarterback. Um, so, you know, for Auburn moving forward, whatever the quarterback situation is going to be, you do wonder how well they're going to do, um, you know, with the next quarterback if the offensive line isn't up to par. And we've said it before, Auburn's offensive line, it, it's not just going to be, hey, get the guys in the portal because everybody's going to try to get the guys in the portal. And it's not necessarily going to be get dudes in recruiting because it's really hard to start guys that young at coming out of high school, especially multiple of them. Um, and then it also can't just be, you know, bring dudes back or develop them. Like it's got to be an all, all, all of the above kind of thing. They got to find kind of the secret sauce up front and, uh, we shall see how, how effective, uh, that's going to be. Uh, what, you know, I talked about getting that, uh, tweet about, uh, McPherson while we were recording this podcast. Uh, our, our young King Dave McKinney wanting me, wanting to point out to me that, uh, yeah, uh, Kentucky left her up and look what happened. Um, by the way, LSU ended up winning by 16 over Georgia Tech. So LSU keeps rolling on. Uh, they are 9-0. They were 2-net, and net, uh, and they just made the top 25. So I think they're going to get a ton of respect this week from the pollsters. Um, but, yeah, big day, big weekend uh, for Auburn athletes. It's going to be a big week, I think. Big weekend for Auburn basketball. I think it's going to be a big week for Auburn football in a, in, in, in a number of ways. And, uh, yeah, in a couple of weeks we're going to be talking about um, a bowl game uh, and uh, all, all that good stuff that goes along with it. You had a little uh, connection to the Navy game. I did have a connection to the Navy game. I've always Army, had Navy, a. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to leave out one side. Well, Navy won, so we can call it the Navy game. Um, Fair enough. I did. I did want to shout out Navy. I've I've always had a soft spot for Navy because when I was out of out of college, writing for Bleacher Report um, before I went back to the Auburn beat. Actually, before I went to the Auburn beat full time. Um, I did a story on Keenan Reynolds. If you remember him, he had the touchdown record. Um, had an incredible career. Really, the last time Navy was awesome um, was the uh, quarterback there. He was a kid from Tennessee. Really cool dude to talk to. I remember working on the story, and uh, I reached out to Navy's SID and said, hey, this is what I'm working on. And I expected, you know, maybe a few minutes with a coach or two. And it was like half the staff, like each gave me like nearly an hour of their time, like during the middle of a week, like during while they were like prepping for a game. So like Kenny Amatololo and Ivan Jasper were two guys I talked to a lot for that. And they're still on staff at Navy. And it was been a tough year for them, but they got the big upset win over Army. Um, so I will always have a, a soft spot in my heart for the midshipmen. Um, so congrats, congrats to Navy. I know some of you listening to this, maybe, maybe our Army fans may have connection to Army. Uh, but I'm sorry. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be mids all the way over here for me. Um, so, uh, go Navy. Uh, big, big win, big win for them. And, uh, we got bowls coming up next week. So that'll be fun. We'll get back to the co- full on college football mode again, but, uh, seems like a pretty busy day of college basketball as well. Help, help things out. 
Big mids guy. Big mids guy. That's me. That's me right there. Um, that'll do it from us. We appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate you guys subscribing to the Auburn Observer. Appreciate you telling your friends, buying gift subscriptions, uh, rating and reviewing on, on Apple. All that stuff really helps us a ton. And that's the thing is like, this is all from y'all. Uh, the whole, you know, the whole thing, uh, comes, comes from you guys, uh, and your support. Um, so we appreciate every little bit of it we can get. We will be back later this week to talk, uh, National Signing Day uh, and other developments in Auburn football. And we will also talk Auburn basketball and their game against UNA and the second game of Bruce Pearl's suspension. Um, but that is only available if you are a subscriber. So auburnobserver.com, subscribe if you want to get the bonus podcast. And for the rest of y'all, we will talk to you next week. Painter, final thoughts. Happy Christmas. Take a stroll out, how it was. 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 Take a stroll.